Well, we've been looking this last few weeks at Psalm 23, and today we've reached verse 5. Next week we're going to finish off by looking at verse 6. And this week my mind has been buzzing a little bit with this verse. I wish in a way that we could do a couple of talks on it, but I'll do my best uh, to try and keep this tight. If you've been following these talks, David is looking back over his life here with thankfulness that God has been with him through all of the ups and downs that he's experienced. In the first part of the psalm, David pictures God like a shepherd caring for him. But in verse 5 here, the scene seems to change. We're no longer outdoors, but indoors. And David is no longer a sheep in a flock but a guest at a lavish banquet. David now imagines God as this extravagantly generous master chef laying on a massive, happy feast for him. I do love a good meal, don't we all? Sometimes I enjoy the cooking and the hosting too. And I think this is something that we've really missed, isn't it, during this coronavirus time. And I'll... I'll certainly look forward to meals with other people again as soon as we can do that Uh, the simple idea of eating with friends has been a big thing in all cultures in history wherever you go geographically or historically eating together has been seen as a positive thing first of all it speaks of friendship Uh, there's, there's this huge sense of hospitality come on in you're so welcome But sometimes it can also be about thankfulness and celebration. What's the first thing we do when we're marking or celebrating a birthday or an anniversary? How do we celebrate weddings? What we do on happy occasions is we love to put on a spread or we go out somewhere nice to eat. But I think there's a a spiritual parallel in the Bible, in all of this too, you you don't have to look that far in the Bible to realise that a proper, good, happy meal is often used to describe the whole idea of salvation. It's as if God provides this remarkable, lavish gift and invites us to tuck in. It's all from him. It's happy it's welcoming, it's very relational, there's a satisfaction in it. And so we find Jesus in the Gospels describing the preaching of the good news of the Gospel to a lost world as an invitation to a feast. It's almost as if God is saying to us, look what I've cooked up for you, come and eat. And all of this imagery even points forward to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, which promises that when Christ comes again for his people, the church, his beautiful bride, what will happen? We're told in Revelation that there'll be a massive reception, a wedding supper, essentially a party. The eating of a lavish feast is a picture of the salvation that God offers to us. And I'm not sure there's any better image to convey. Welcome, friendship, affirmation, celebration, thankfulness and joy 
than a really good meal with friends. But did you notice that there's a big twist here in Psalm 23 and verse 5? Because David actually conjures up in his vivid imagination two things that you don't normally see in the same sentence. On the one hand, David describes God as this generous host laying on this sumptuous banquet for him. While on the other all of his worst enemies who hate him are snarling in disgust and prowling around the table. David writes, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. This amazing meal is prepared and served up by God for David right in the face of conflict and opposition. I I think the combination of these two extremes is almost miraculous. Rich, deep satisfaction and seething, vicious enemies. I don't think it's hard for us to get hold of the idea here that for David, as all the storms of life blow around him, whether, as we've seen, it's difficult circumstances or even here being wounded somehow by other people, God is not only with him in it all, but is actually also sustaining, nourishing and satisfying him inwardly. Even when David's enemies are licking their lips at the prospect of destroying him, God is providing every single good thing that David needs. I think as David reflects on his life here, there's almost a calm defiance in his words. My enemies were strong, but they couldn't stop God from feeding my heart every day on his overflowing delicious goodness. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Let me try and look at this with you from three different angles to try and draw out some of the encouragement that's here. First of all, I want us to see that here David is describing a lasting friendship that no enemy can ever steal. On the obvious level, David is acknowledging here that in life he has experienced the frustration of having enemies who hated him. Maybe this week, try and read something like Psalm 69, for example, where David speaks of the unfair and unwarranted hardship that he's experienced. He he talks about how the scorn of other people has left him brokenhearted and feeling helpless and yet in all of these experiences God has been to him a true friend none of the bullies that he has ever faced in his life have ever been able to take that inward reality away from David but I I think we can go further than this spiritually and there's a couple of things here first of all God gently teaches us 
that by nature all of us once were God's enemies. There was a time when we ourselves were rebels who did not love him at all. And yet in his great kindness and grace, God reconciles us to himself through the cross of Jesus. The Bible says in the New Testament that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God invites us to dine at his table as his friends, even when we were his enemies. And it's the sheer extravagance of it that's so striking here in this verse. It was a custom in these days that if you received a guest, you were showing hospitality, you would honour your guest by, by providing them with perfumed oil to refresh their heads and with a cup of the best wine. David here imagines all of this wonderful hospitality and pictures God as the ultimate host who spares no expense in welcoming friends to his table to eat with him with great gladness. What a wonderful picture of the good news of the gospel that God should invite us to come and dine with him. But it can also sometimes seem as if when we become friends with God, the world around us falls out with us. It seems sometimes that being friends with God seems to invite the, the scorn and mockery of this world. And the Bible teaches us that we have powerful spiritual enemies too. Our modern culture perhaps laughs at this, but there, there is an invisible evil abroad in this world that hates God and hates people. I think the evidence for this is found in the brokenness that we often see all around us. One place in the New Testament uh, describes the devil as a prowling, roaring lion, always on the lookout for someone to devour. I want to suggest that in this spiritual light, this picture that David paints here is incredibly precious, even though we have new enemies that are numerous and powerful and cruel. Right here, spread by divine hands, is this table in a kind of wilderness. There is no enemy who can ever steal this friendship with God. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. A second angle to this idea is, is the idea that 
there, there is there is here an inward joy that no outward conflict can ultimately kill. And the angle here is not just the security of it, but the inner strength that it provides to overcome conflict. David here can face his enemies with a joy that comes to him from another place. The conflict is real, but his encouragement in God is greater. If it wasn't for this reality, the church would never have got off the ground in the first place. Christianity was born within a brutal Roman Empire and at various times under different emperors, persecution was vicious and cruel. But over the course of 300 years or so, these little communities of believers in various places, they, they knew and exhibited such joy and love that they gradually conquered the empire. A lot of the values that we now take for granted stem from the way that Christianity completely changed the world. And one writer I came across this past week said this. It was the sheer joy of the early Christians that broke the persecution of Rome. These early believers knew how to outlive their enemies and they knew how to outdie their enemies And listen to this, thus through his church, Jesus sets a banquet table before his enemies. It's a curious thing in history that often where persecution has been the fiercest, the church of Jesus has grown most rapidly because the people of God have the greatest reason to be full of joy. The third heading here is that I think there's something here too of of a healing love that no hurt or wound can crush. What do I mean by that? I think the further angle here is that knowing the love of God has a soothing affirming effect in our lives too that even in in David's case it has enabled David to see even his enemies in a different light we read earlier of an episode in David's life where exactly this happened in 1 Samuel chapter 24 David is on the run in the wild from the mad king Saul who is trying to kill him And someone tells the king where David is hiding and Saul unbelievably gets 3,000 of his fighting men together to go and hunt David down. And there's a bit of comedy in this chapter in that Saul is caught short. Everyone knows, don't they, that you go to the loo before you set off on a journey. But Saul finds himself needing a wee. And he goes into a cave to relieve himself. And it just so happens that David and some of his men are hiding at the back of the same cave. 
Now, I, I don't think in history there's ever been any armour that's ever in, been invented that has a fly in it. Um, it, it, it just isn't there. It, you, you, can, you can look at different armour in history from different countries and none of them have a fly. So in this cave, while absolutely bursting, all of Saul's armour comes off and this king, who has spent years pursuing David, is literally caught with his trousers down and is completely defenceless. And in that moment, something rises within David's own men. All of the injustice of the previous years comes to a head and his men, Egimon, in the quietness at the back of this cave, David, this is the day God spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. It's amazing how they use God to justify David taking his revenge. One flick of David's knife and Saul is gone. And so David creeps off in the dark. But to, I suppose to the horror of his men, instead of coming back with a piece of Saul... David returns with a piece of Saul's robe that he's cut off. Oh man, I, I wish we had more time to unpick this encounter here, but you can read 1 Samuel 24 again during the week. But here, here's my main point. I think the only way that David can let Saul go here is because God has laid out a table for him right in the presence of his most murderous enemy. Whilst his men are angry and intent on revenge, somehow David's vision is filled with something different. David's vision is saturated with the goodness of God and it frees him to act differently and to let Saul go. One thing is for sure, that you and I will never be able to forgive other people who hurt us if we keep looking at them and raking over what they did to us. The fact that David knows that God loves him means that the hurt he has experienced doesn't harden into bitterness and resentment and revenge, but melts into forgiveness. Uh, of course, we, re we realise that this is a complex issue. But here's an important principle. Often, the thing that hurts us the most is not what other people do to us. But it's actually how we ourselves respond. Our bitterness and resentment only spoils us. It can never actually punish or hurt or touch the other person. And the cycle of revenge that it can lead to is often what drives this world, isn't it? An eye for an eye 
so quickly becomes a neck for a neck. No wonder Paul, a writer in the New Testament, says to Christians, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Along with every form of malice. How on earth is this possible? How can we find a better way? Forgiveness isn't pretending that it doesn't hurt or saying that wrong is somehow okay. Forgiveness means letting the other person go rather than clinging to the hurt. And in this episode David does that here by by giving his hates to God and letting God both settle the score and soothe him let, let me try and draw this to a all, all together as we close I, I'm very struck here that not only do we have a verse that combines two extremes that you don't normally find in the same sentence deep satisfaction and vicious conflict but all of these three angles that we've briefly looked at also involve things that simply could not exist apart from God and what he is ultimately like how can God's enemies ever become his friends where on earth can we find a joy that nothing can ultimately kill And where can any of us find strength to love and forgive those who hurt and wound us? All of these three things sound actually miraculous. But so is tucking into your dinner while your enemies salivate. You have laid a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. Let me just remind you of what God has done for us in Jesus. We've talked as we've worked through this little series in Psalm 23 about our human rebellion against God. Let me ask you this question. Does God burn with a desire to wipe out those who sin against his goodness? No. God's response to our rebellion is to send Jesus, his son, into this world who comes with unimaginable power, which is yet totally under control. And as Roman soldiers hammer iron nails through his wrists, to nail him to a wooden cross. Do we find Jesus crying out, how dare you? Or do you not know who I am? No. We find him crying out, Father, forgive them. Jesus is really saying, Father, let them go as he himself absorbs the cost 
and the pain. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is what Christ has achieved. What a beautiful verse this is. And do you know that the only host who would ever pour wine out until it overflows is a host who simply doesn't care because he has so much that it'll never run out. That's how David imagines God. My cup overflows. Think of the sheer extravagance that every day in the midst of real life, God gives us every good thing that we need, filling us with his spirit, blessing us with his presence and changing us to be who he intend it us to be. I wonder if there's something you need to do today to respond to this picture that David paints. Maybe you need to come and be reconciled to God, to receive his forgiveness and to come and sit at his table and enjoy his food as his friend rather than his enemy. Maybe today you need to remember with thankfulness and joy what you now have in Jesus and fix your eyes again afresh on that rather than dwelling on whatever conflict there is in front of you at this moment. And maybe you need to as Paul said, get rid of bitterness if it grips you and bring your hurts and wounds to God so that he can soothe and heal your heart and enable you to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. May it be so in all of our lives. Amen.